Is there really such a thing as the plastic mafia? How can waste truly be a resource? And what is the difference between sustainability and regeneration? Big questions that we are deep diving into today with Jaden Kleinak, serial regenerative founder, current CEO for The Better Good and Edible Earth, breathwork coach, and yogi. It's time to live wide awake. Hey, it's Steph Dixon, and welcome to the Live Wide Awake podcast. This is a podcast about climate change and consciousness, sustainability and spirituality. Each week, a special concoction for your listening pleasure so that you can lead your most conscious life. We're going to be talking about fascinating yet sometimes complicated topics and breaking them down into digestible chunks so that we can live wide awake. If you haven't already, do hit that subscribe button. And if you love what you're hearing, consider supporting us on Patreon. Jaden Kleinek started his sustainability journey in 2012 when he founded the Honest Coffee Company, becoming the exclusive New Zealand distributor of biodegradable coffee capsules. He then decided to tackle the problem of waste caused by discarded plastic water bottles with his company for the better good. But he didn't stop there and created an entire ecosystem to support the full life cycle of their products. And now he's launched a regenerative soil company too. In a funny turn of events, Jade and I both wound up in the same mastermind group through something called Top Tier Impact. I have deeply admired his calm sensibilities, deep self-wisdom, and conscious leadership style. So when the opportunity came to get him on the pod, it was a no-brainer. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the difference between sustainability and regeneration, taking on big food and beverage giants, and why vulnerability is one of the biggest strengths for a conscious leader. Okay, well, Jaden, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to deep diving into these very big topics with you. Thanks for having me, Steph. Just as excited. Yeah. So tell us about For the Better Good and how you see waste as a design flaw. Uh, I, I've actually realized that this isn't uncommon, but I had a bit of an aha moment is what I've put down, I guess, my journey over the last eight years. And that was, it was, I had just gotten back from Europe. I, I got a one-way ticket to London after leaving school and got back from Europe and really didn't want to get a job. And I had lots of friends at university and it looked like so much fun. So I took myself down to a place called Dunedin in the South Island of New Zealand and enrolled quite late for university and got there with having not have pitched my papers. And I kind of was walking around on the um, enrollment day and ended up just signing up for doing a design major. Um, I did a Bachelor of Consumer and Applied Sciences, but my, one of my majors was design. And the most I probably learned out of my whole university career was in probably the second lecture. And the lecturer was explaining what design actually is. And he was explaining or really breaking it down to saying that everything is essentially design. Everything we can see from cities to cars, down to menus, food, clothes, everything has been designed. And he then boiled it down to saying how great that is because every time we come across, a, I guess, a problem in life or something that's not working, it's just a poor design. And it, and it can be redesigned and anything negative can be, can be turned into a positive if it's, if it's just designed better. So that kind of, that was my aha moment and it stuck with me throughout university, but I, I must admit at this time in my life, when I threw something into a bin and, and it went away, I, I never thought much beyond that. I definitely wasn't, I guess, aware of what I'm aware of now until I left university. After leaving, or in my, in my final few months, uh, one of my flatmates got an espresso machine 
And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever because um, I'd been a barista my whole life. I had a coffee machine in my room at university and all my friends would normally come to my room and I'd make coffees the old school way. And suddenly everyone was going to his room and making these coffees with these little capsules, but I was in there too, I must admit. And then once I left uni, I, I moved to a place called Wanaka and I was just pondering one day, as you do when you're in between university and doing something else, you have a lot of time. And just thinking about these capsules and where they go because we were using so many of them and we were just a small flat in Dunedin so I started to think about how many were actually being used around the world and I realized that that was the first product I'd ever come across that they were designed to be used for eight seconds and then go to landfill and and that wasn't anything wrong that wasn't someone misusing the product that was literally their design and their intent and I guess that just shocked me a bit and I remembered that that what I was taught in that design lecture of like wow this is just poor design and then as I started to dig into it, it seemed that anything going to landfill or anything being made from something that we only need for a little bit of time, but then is indestructible, it's just really, really bad design and created this huge opportunity to design it better. So that's that started me on this journey. I, I ended up launching a company called Honest Coffee, um, where we distributed the first, this is a very long story short, but we ended up distributing the first compostable capsule from the espresso machines. Um, into New Zealand and Australia. And that came from a simple idea of you had organic matter inside, you had coffee grounds, which is really good for compost. That's nitrogen. The other half of compost is carbon. So if we can build the outside of the carbon, we have this little compost bomb as opposed to this indestructible shell with something natural and organic in, inside. And then that just kind of spiraled out from there. And since then, every kind of problem I've come across in life, business and personal, has kind of more been exciting than than dwelling um, as it just shows up as an opportunity to design or do something a little bit better. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that you actually saw the problems in your life and then you took what you were excited about in university and did something about it, which is fantastic. And I know you kind of talk about replacing vicious cycles with virtuous cycles and turning negative effects of products into positive effects. And maybe you can share a little bit more about that and how you kind of then moved on to water bottles. Absolutely. The the whole vicious cycle versus virtuous cycles is actually, I've never heard it put into words before and well until recently. It's its something that has I've been in awe of over the last few years as we've been doing what we've, we're doing, where we look at whole life cycles as opposed to just one aspect of a life cycle. And we look at things holistically. And I guess more importantly, we go back to the start of the life cycle um, where a lot of design or products or, or things are broken is right at the start. Um, we replace a negative there with a positive, for example, oil with renewable plants and actually just seeing the natural positive flow and effects that come from just changing that one thing. But it is a new concept to me, but I'll, I'll try break it down a little bit, little bit better. Um, so if you think of, if we stick to oil and plastics, it's, it's a vicious cycle. We're taking oil out of the ground for one. We all know what oil does and not many people really stand up and say they love oil anymore but so that causes one problem and then you've got to think of the wildlife that gets affected and um, you've got to think of the toxicity um, for human health and the environment and then we're making these indestructible products that are used and then they go on to last forever and then there's all these flow-on effects and and these negative vicious cycles that get created from one poor decision at the start and once we started looking into different materials and trying to replace negatives with positives um, for example, with, with what we've done to use use it, I guess it's quite relevant. We um, we put plants in, in the place of oil and then suddenly we came up with a product that was non-toxic. So it didn't need to be single use. It could be reused. And then it had the ability to be composted at the end of life. So we designed a system to collect it back. 
we created compost sites to compost it and then suddenly we're left with all this compost and to make compost you also have to use food waste and green waste that was going to landfill so as a result we had to divert food waste from landfill which was a positive we turned that into compost and then we had all this compost so then we started growing organic food and feeding people and that food was more nutrient dense because we use compost and not synthetic fertilizers so there's this kind of thing that's happening and that's unfolding for me and it's becoming clearer and clearer that we have a lot of vicious cycles in the way we operate currently but there is the potential to replace them with these virtuous cycles and some of the positives that we're seeing from our supply chains we didn't plan for we weren't trying to get them they just naturally fell out which has been really rewarding yeah no i was really impressed the first time i heard that you know you just kept going with solving the problems that were created even with your product right you know you created this biodegradable plant-based product but then what happens to it afterwards and so then you actually created that whole ecosystem so that you're really looking after the life cycle of the product which i was just so impressed by but also just yeah wondering you know why did more people not do business this way right but i'll come back to that i'd actually really like to understand a little bit more about how biodegradable versus you know compostable and all these different terms that we're hearing i think there's a lot of confusion and ambiguity as well around that so how does that actual process work um with your bottles for example or other other products yeah fair enough it's super confusing out there in this world at the moment like it's new and we're exploring it and there's lots of mismatch information a really simple way to look at it or how i view it is biodegradable is is the it will biodegrade it will break down that could be anything though and it doesn't really have a time limit on it on how long it will break down and then also if you've got something biodegrading that's made of some nasty things it's just going to get smaller and smaller but it's still going to actually persist in the environment just in smaller forms we're composting um composting for our bottles for example they will break down into smaller and smaller pieces um however when they get small enough the little microorganisms in the compost pile will actually eat what's left and then they'll just leftovers is just co2 and water so there's a there's this extra step i guess where it can actually be consumed by nature the nutrients can be recycled and then they can enter the environment safely again as opposed to just remain in their original form but just in smaller bits with our bottles we have set up these composting sites throughout new zealand um, to compost ourselves just because there was a lack of infrastructure when we started there wasn't really enough to make compostable products actually have the ability to be composted which is just a little bit ridiculous it's all completely natural we have these boxes they're made of steel and wood we add food scraps that we collect from local businesses or uh, local homes then we add our carbon source which is just mulch trees or dried grass you can think of it as browns and greens and then we just add our bottles and basically because we're composting quite well and we get our nitrogen carbon mix quite right the compost naturally gets hot can get up to about 65 degrees and then we kind of it stays there it stays at about 60 degrees um, you can even run copper piping through these composts and it can be a, a free energy hot water source if you want because they stay so warm naturally and then it basically goes up in heat and then it comes back down the other side cools out the worms come in it and then it's ready to be used in the garden and our bottles everything we use is certified compostable all in, all of the materials so that means that it will break down i think it's about 90 95% in 180 days but we really wanted to see how our bottle performed as a whole package so we we had it tested by a, a independent sustainability consultant and they broke down in under 27 days they were completely gone so it's generally quicker than most orange or lemon peels that break down in our compost 
Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. So what would you say to people that maybe say, you know, it's still, or might challenge and say it's still single use and do the benefits really outweigh all the resources? Cause you're still growing the plants or, you know, there's still like a process to actually produce the bottles. Um, is this something that you've actually found people challenge on or people kind of get it? I think it's less of a product question and more of a people question that one. Some we've found some people are reusers and some people aren't. And we're trying to convert people from non-reusers to reusers. Reuse is definitely the, the best part about our, our product. The way I see it is if we can if we're gonna be using plastic, which has shown to be better than glass and better than these other things for its own little reasons. But if we're gonna be using it, we should be using renewable resources to make it. It should be non-toxic so it can be reused. And we actually set up a whole free and free refill network throughout New Zealand because we realized that the time you normally buy a new bottle is when you're out and about. So we tried to mitigate that, giving people access to, to refills while they're out and about, and then have the ability to be returned to the earth. But with the reuse, with the reuse stage, we have people reuse our bottles for six months, a year, and we'll definitely have other people that just want to drink water, they buy it, they use it once and then they'll discard it. Hopefully they return it to one of our return points. But we can't control that. It's probably the one part we can't control. We can't really follow everyone around with a whip and just kind of make them do the right thing. But we just try to do as much education as possible. And if that person's inclined to be a reuser, then they've got this affordable, reusable, lightweight option. And if they're not, then hopefully we'll just get them get them there on the journey. And then regarding resources, it's it's a comparison to oil. And yeah, it's 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 a pretty pretty clear for me personally and for anyone I think that wanted to research it it's a large step ahead of what oil does at least the plants when they grow and they sequester carbon that carbon gets stored in that bottle and then that carbon can actually return to the earth through our composting as opposed to oil which is just pulling carbon source out of the ground that's billions of years old and we're also looking into new ways of making materials out of waste and organic matter and so the whole plant growing process is just one step in the right direction but by no means is it perfect. It's just better than whatever else is out there at the moment. Mm, but the technology is advancing. And I know you're working on something that you can't share too much about, but maybe in sort of general terms can share a little bit about what the future is going to look like of these renewable plastics. Yeah, so there's, there's a material called PHA and and it just has so many more benefits to to what current bioplastics are out there at the moment from the opportunities to be made from organic resources that are currently waste. And a lot of what we do is about teaching people that anything that's come from the earth isn't actually waste, it's a resource. And a lot of our problems stem from us using those resources wrong or not reusing them at all, trying to throw them in holes called landfills or whatever else we do with them. But it's definitely advancing very quickly and and materials are getting better barriers. So the products are kept better, they're getting better feedstocks such as being able to be made from organic matter or waste. And then even the end of life's getting better. So Currently, lots of bioplastics, such as our bottles, need a specific composting environment, which is why we've built our own. And well, it's just hot composting, which is how, which is the best way to compost anyway. But as materials develop, they're kind of getting to the point where they can just break down wherever bacteria is present and or in people's home composts. And it's it's a journey, and and it's 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 something that we're just continually getting better at and improving. But as I said, from where we've started at oil, it's leaps and bounds ahead. Absolutely. And so, you know, I know that you started obviously as a small player, really taking on big international food and beverage giants by having a plastic water bottle, even though it's plant-based. What's that journey been like? And why was the, so, the system so tough and the challenges you faced with this plastic mafia, I think is what you referred to it as. Yeah, I think 
in any industry you kind of enter, there's these there's these conglomerate giants that have been there and have set it up and have just kind of it's just the way the world's really been operating. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of shifts from kind of um, centralized hubs of business down to decentralized micro businesses, which which is causing a big shift. But when I started eight eight years ago, people didn't even think plastic was bad or, or a lot of people we were talking to, it was actually quite a hard sell to convince them that they needed a better replacement. Um, and then now it's more just coming up against I guess the places that you you want to be in where you see you can make a big impact, they'll just be tied into these 10-year contracts or 20-year contracts um, with certain businesses where they want to change, but they just can't because of for whatever reason. And we've even come across, we, we picked up uh, probably the biggest contract we had I'll try not to name names and still tell the story, but it was a it was a large business, and we picked up this great contract, and we set up um, this amazing collection network within the business, and then we set up composting on site, so they could actually replace their plastic bottles. That if we want to dive into recycling and what actually happens there, we can. But I'm pretty sure everyone knows by now. But they wanted to replace that with the system that where people were getting bottles, reusing them all day on site. And then they were returning them and then they were getting composted on site with food waste from on site and nothing was leaving. There was no trucks. It was a really beautiful system. And we signed them up for a year exclusive contract so no one else could come in and we knew it was secured so we could really invest our time and love and resources into it. And after the first um, match um, or first kind of big day there, we started getting these calls from the company stressing out that they were getting pressure from shareholders and that this this other business that had was there before us um, was doing this and doing that. And suddenly we got called into the CEO's office and he said, look, um, we've been offered $250,000 to get rid of you guys and, and to bring these people back in and drop the contract. We're a business, um, we're a commercial entity. I'm sure you understand, but the decision has been made. We were just calling you in to tell you that. And um, despite having a contract that said legally they couldn't do it, the size of these companies, we were never going to fight them. And that's just not how we really do business. But I guess it just speaks to the realities of some situations and, and some of the battles that we come up against. Although it's, I think it's, it's a positive. It shows that we're catalyzing change in an industry that, that needs it. It's been stagnant for a very, very long time, especially in the bottled water market. Um, if, you, if you like to, to focus on that, even though I, I really believe we're not a bottled water company in everything we do, I think in mar- in marketing back in university, it was kind of like a running joke that the lecturer said that you'd never start a bottled water company um, just because it's so controlled and the, the budgets are so big and you'd never get in, it would never work. So yeah, we've, we've definitely, we can definitely blame ourselves for taking on the challenges we have, but it, it makes it a little bit more fun to, to know that we're actually getting noticed in that way, I guess. Yeah, I have to admit, I love your positive reframing of something that I'm sure would have been one of the biggest challenges and disappointments of, uh, you know, your whole journey there. And this is why I just love chatting to you, because you just have this way of seeing the positive and seeing the lessons and even saying that it's fun. That's just amazing to me. And I guess, you know, this is the reality, though, as you said, you know, that these companies just have so much money that they can use those golden handcuffs to pressure companies. And that makes me a little bit worried because there are companies like you who are literally creating the entire ecosystem you need to reduce a huge problem that a country in the world has. 
So when do you think we're actually going to start seeing the shift that these kind of companies will start adopting what you have done, for example, or start, you know, actually seeing the light, you know, is it just power and greed and money that is going to, that, you know, is, I guess the biggest thing that we actually have to fight against in this, you know, in to actually shift and, and change things. Yeah, potentially. I I mean, I think that, yeah, businesses like that, like that definitely, it definitely plays its part, but we can't forget the power of the consumer. Um, and I think that's what keeps me positive is knowing that consumers in their individual way, they have so much access to information now and they can research and find out answers for themselves. And at the end of the day, businesses will do what the consumer wants. And it might not be loud enough now, but we definitely also have businesses that are aware of what we do and aware of the other options and know no matter what they have to go with us because that's what their target market is. That's what their consumer is. And I think that that movement is only getting stronger and only getting bigger. And it's only a matter of time before these guys actually have to listen and do something. And I mean, they are listening and they do do things. It's just unfortunate. They do things in the old way still. Um, but I just think in the next 10 years, our, our planet is under so much pressure right now. We are so far over our comfortable carrying capacity already that it's not going to be a choice anymore to, to, keep, to keep operating with environmental cost not being accounted for on the balance sheet. And, and, and right now we have a price for our product and it includes your end of life and it includes the environmental cost. It's all in there where these businesses currently able to sell without accounting for the effects they're having on the environment. And I just think with the state of the world and the extremity of it, I don't think that will last much longer just because it can't. I mean, if it does, we all get wiped out, right? So it's a, it's a pretty extreme circumstance. So I think, it, I think it will shift. And I also think that the consciousness is changing and there's also there's big CEOs and big corporates now who actually are feeling the pressure and are wanting to do good. We've found a lot of them are lost and just don't know how. Some, some of them, they, it's not that they don't want to, it's just they don't know how. So um, I think it's changing. And I think if we just keep doing us, keep doing what we're doing, it, it will eventually cause the shift that it needs to. Good. Okay. Yes. I think you're right. You know, it has to happen sooner or later. And you guys being a shining example that hopefully these companies even copy, you know, or partner with you. And I think that is, you know, a high form of flattery when, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later as well. I think, you know, regeneration has been a very big word this year, and I think it's going to be even bigger moving forward. So I'd love for you to kind of explain what's the difference between regeneration and sustainability sort of in general, but also in a business capacity yeah okay good follow-on from the last one i think everyone's been focusing on sustainability it's been a it's been a buzzword for for quite a long time now i guess or at least for the last few years but all it means is the ability to sustain the cycles of life um, and in more simple terms to stay where we are and as i just mentioned we're we're at like 417 parts per million and with carbon in the atmosphere, 350 was like we can't go over this and 280 is probably where we're actually comfortable so to stay at 417 isn't good. Um, we're already seeing that the effects of that and we really just can't afford to cause less harm anymore or be sustainable. Regeneration or regenerative, and I think this is leaning into where we touched on creating virtuous cycles, is, is regeneration. It's working alongside nature. It's designing in, in harmony with nature and, and, and fixing what we've done so it actually remedies the past and then just making things better. That's how I like to think of regeneration. And we see it with, with our composting, for example. If you lay compost on soil, that soil will start actually sequestering carbon. It will start reversing climate change. It's not just stopping food waste going to landfill. That would be sustainable. 
but putting comp turning it into compost and putting it on the soil so then the environment actually starts to heal itself that's regeneration and we can see it and we see it all through our business it's the lens we put over everything so if we're if we're doing something we're not just trying to to stay the same we're trying to put something out there so we get more back so then we have more back to give and then it's just this really nice cycle where actually you get more back than you give and then that means you can give more back again and it just is this way where everyone can actually benefit and a lot of that comes back down to not wasting our resources and as soon as we see that our waste is actually a resource we can start to very quickly shift into regeneration and I think food waste and composting is the quickest way to do that. Yeah, I just, you know, when you kind of zoom out and look at this over, I guess, a century or or two, it's just so funny because I feel like our great grandparents, you know, they were living in a world that was more like that. And then we kind of had this dirty period where it was all about consumerism and single use and money. And, and now we're kind of slowly, but hopefully it's going to gain traction and be quicker going back to this idea of regeneration and circular systems. And I think, you know, when they look at this time in history, they're going to be like, what the was everyone thinking? Like, how did this even happen? And I just, I have to laugh about it because, yeah, I'm just, you know, imagining our, our grandkids or great grandkids looking back at that time being like, what happened? I, I think we needed it. I think we needed to see the contrast. I think we needed to go so far wrong to then find out where what right is. And I think it's it's only up from now. If we had kept living how our grandparents lived, it wouldn't be that I probably wouldn't get ex, as excited as I do now about composting and growing food because it would be normal. Where we've gone so far from that, that I get filled with so much joy making compost and growing my own food and knowing that I've got more nutrients in my food and that I can eat organic and local. Where if that was normal, it wouldn't be as fun. So I think it's good we've seen that contrast, and now it's really exciting to know that we have some simple remedies to come back. And just create a better life where everyone's a lot more happier and looked after. And there's, there's, we can get that sense of abundance because we're working alongside the planet where there is abundance as opposed to trying to fight it where there's not much there left for anyone. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And it's so true. So yeah, good, good way to think about it. And that kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about next, which is really, you know, this idea of mindfulness and well-being because it's so interconnected with this kind of work and with connecting with the planet but also connecting deeper with yourself and just understanding how to be a better person I think and you know as if your journey wasn't interesting enough you're also a holotropic breathwork coach and a yoga teacher and so yeah I just wanted to know a little bit more about how these modalities have helped you and were there any specific breakthroughs that you've had using these kind of practices or moments of like aha moments of deeper understanding? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I um this doesn't normally come up. <laughs> I yeah, for sure. I I actually really struggled with um with depression for many years. Well I was kind of in my last couple of years at school and then all through university I started ta- having to take antidepressants and just wasn't that much of a good functioning human. I was so down that I definitely couldn't offer anything outside of myself to the world. And when I got to about 25 or 26, and I'd been on antidepressants for, I don't know, five or six years, I kind of went to my doctor and said, like, cool, I've been doing this thing. Like, when do I get off them? And he just looked at me and said, oh, no, you're, you're on them for life. And um, that really just kind of shocked me. One, they never told me that when they started me on them. And two, I was kind of going, well, surely this isn't right. Surely I don't need to take this thing or whatever you're giving me to, to feel okay. And by this time, I'd kind of started getting into yoga and 
meditation. I remember signing up to my first yoga class and it was like $30 for 10 days unlimited. And I just went every day for 10 days. And I was just so hooked at this new thing I'd found, um, which really started to help me explore myself. And I managed to take myself off antidepressants against my doctor's will um, and just kind of dive deeper into yoga and meditation. And I also changed my diet and went vegan at the same time, um, just after looking into how much our gut really affects our minds. And, and I became a much happier, healthier, stable human by changing my diet and diving into yoga than I did from taking these antidepressants that the doctor told me I needed because they labeled me as manically depressed. And um, ever since then, I guess I just went on this journey and I, I really clearly saw that any blocks in my outer world, especially my business or how I would relate to other people, my friends or how I'd show up in the world was all just happening inside of me. And as I worked through these layers of doubts and fears and anxieties and, and all these things I was telling myself, I became a, a more functioning, happier human who could actually perform better in the world and, and got to a point where I could actually think outside of myself all of a sudden. And then last year, I think it was the start of last year, I had a relationship end that after three years and I ended up taking myself to Bali where I started diving deeper into breath work and did, did a couple of te yoga teacher trainings. And that led me to Mexico at the end of last year where I finished my shamanic breath work facilitators course. And this whole journey was me really just healing parts of myself and aspects of myself, which I would automatically see reflect into my outside world. And I'd see my business started getting healthier. The way I could lead or, or facilitate my staff was getting a lot better. And I really do think the work, and we say we work hard, but I think any work that I've done that's actually given me true benefit in business or in life has been internal work on myself, just looking at myself, looking at my failures, looking at my where I'm not so good at things um, and looking at what's held me back. And and that's just really unlocked me to, I hope, be a, be a better human and just show up a bit more in the world. And I, I do feel like I don't really have business mentors as such. I've tried to find them and I just never really have any, found anyone that's fitted because everyone I've found that's been successful was successful 20 years ago or in a very different world to today or was doing something very different to what I'm doing now. So that's never worked. And I've kind of found that inner guidance, that intuition and just learning about myself in, in a more, I guess, spiritual way, if you want to look at it like that, has been the most powerful tool that I've found for guidance. And after going through uh, some deep breathwork trainings and, and using that and just seeing how much that propelled me forward, how much it, it, it gave me more focus and more ambition and um, just so many, so many layers of positives and helped me strip away so many layers of things that were holding me back. I really wanted to be able to share that, um, share that with other people. And, and I don't teach yoga regularly at a studio or anything, but whenever our staff, like the teams are together, I'll try to take everyone through a yoga class or um, just I, I hold private breathwork facilitating um, ceremonies for small groups of friends um, when requested and just do it for close people I love because I'm busy enough in my professional world. I definitely can't commit to offering that full time, but in, in windows and pockets of space and time if I get asked then I like to be able to share what's helped me and, and yoga and breath work are definitely right up there mm, thank you so much for sharing um, in such detail as well I think it really is a journey and that's kind of what I'm taking from what you shared there you know you kind of find these things and, and it feels good and you follow it it's so important to have the repetition you know I think and to actually 
put, figure out what works for you and just build that foundation and just not forgetting that it is hard to do the self-work. It's not easy to look inside and to actually confront the, you know, years or decades of shit that you've been saying to yourself or things that you've been thinking and to unravel all of that. It's a journey. And I think it sounds like you've really been committed and on that journey really well. And I think I, you know, love the fact that you also talked about your team and, and how you deal with them. And I, I know because we've spoken before that you really take a conscious approach with your leadership. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and kind of what you've implemented to create a safe space for your team. Yeah, I, I mean, I try. I really, really try. And I just, for me, I guess I find however I want to treat myself is how I want to treat my team. So if I think I need more freedom in my life or I want to control my calendar more or my hours of work, then I don't just hold on to that for me. I, I, that's for everyone. So no one gets extra benefits in, in, in any projects or anything I'm involved in. Um, we try to kind of have these flat hierarchies and that, that brings challenges as well um, because suddenly if someone really needs something done and they feel that they're not above someone and they've been in a business where it's all been hierarchy, they don't know how to communicate to them because they don't, they're not above them anymore and they can't just tell them what to do. Um, so it's definitely a journey that I'm diving into is trying to lead consciously and just trying to lead with my heart and not my head, which it presents a lot of contradiction. Like you, you're kind of come up with, you're confronted with the situation. Your head's like, I know how to deal with this. You do this, you do this, you do this. And then when I, check in with other parts of my body or with something I've learned or how I actually want to show up. It's generally quite different and it's not intuitive. So, I mean, some things that we recently had a great gathering and, and we, I had everyone in a circle and, and I just asked everyone um, to, like, I, I opened the, the floor, I opened the space and just said, look, I won't respond and nothing you say is wrong and there's no judgment. No one gets in trouble, but I want you to tell me what, what you don't like about me. Like, how do I frustrate you? Like, what are the things that you would go and tell your partner, like, ah, bloody Jaden keeps doing, what are those things? Tell me, like, just openly communicate that to me and, and say how you feel. And, and, and I think, um, it was, it was a powerful process. It was, it was really good. And, and I think it built a lot of trust. And I think when we show vulnerability to, to people that we work with, then they feel free to be vulnerable as well. And I'm really trying to to lean more on communicating through emotions and, and unarguable statements rather than saying, Hey, this is, this is right. So this is what we're doing. It's, it's more, Hey, this is how I feel. And no one can argue with that. And it's just a bit more open and, and accessible. Um, and yeah, I think, I think as a, as a guiding light, it's just trying to keep things light and playful and, and noticing my projections as well. It, it's so easy for me to just um, to fall into this place of projecting and blaming your staff. If something goes wrong and it's easy for going, well, whose fault is it? And really just flipping the script on that. And a lot of people see flipping the script on that as not blaming your staff or not blaming your team and then blaming yourself. But that's still blame. You're still blaming yourself. So really trying to remove that whole thing and then just looking what lessons were there. And all of a sudden you're going, well, no one's to blame what lesson was there. And you've got this huge learning out of a situation that might not have been very comfortable 
as opposed to an argument and just kind of scattered energy and, and everyone feeling like they're not heard or yeah. And it's just, it's, it's beneficial. It, it helps. It's more enjoyable for everyone and your businesses start to thrive better as well as, as at least what I'm, I've seen today. Mm. Yeah. So many great uh, wedges of wisdom that you've shared there, you know, being vulnerable and having more open and accessibility with the team, but also, yeah, I love that idea of flipping the script. I think it also takes a strong person to be able to stop the natural human reaction of blaming or how we've been trained, especially, as you said, coming from a corporate background or from a more structured background, it, it would take a lot of self-awareness. And it sounds like you're leading that way and hopefully then inspiring and showing your team how to be more self-aware as well, which I think is is really beautiful. So I think, you know, it's been a pretty heavy year. And uh, I think maybe someone who's kind of struggling a little bit right now or yeah, I don't know, just a bit lost maybe through everything that's been happening. What kind of advice would you give to them? And I guess what really keeps you going as well? I think I've had enough challenging times in my life to really experientially understand that everything does work out and it is all just an unfolding. I've had so many times where I've thought it's all over and this, you know, I've been in these dark, dark holes or or everything you've been working towards for years has either crumbled or something you've been trying to bring to life just isn't coming to life. I mean, I thought For the Better Good was going to be up and running in six months. It took three years before getting to market. And I felt like a failure that whole time. There was nothing at market. I was telling my friends knew what I was doing and I was, and I was kind of going, ah, it's soon, it's soon, it's soon. And all these years go by and it's hard to feel good about yourself when when that's going on. Yet when it did launch, it was the perfect time. If it was any earlier, it might've failed, you know, and just there was lots of these little learnings along the way. So I think it's surrender is probably the the biggest lesson I can offer to that question. And and that's really what's helped me get me through. And, and I've, I find it's a bit of a muscle, the more I'm able to surrender and, and to let go, the more beauty definitely comes out of it. But also when there's challenging times, it's, you don't get caught up in all the mental games and all the mind stuff of your mind telling you how bad it is and thinking of all these worst case scenarios, you just accept it for what it is and maybe even take it a little bit further and get a little bit excited for what's actually going to come out of this bad situation. But just surrendering and accepting that it is it is an unfolding and that if we're following our hearts and just showing up every day, we really can't go wrong. And we like to think we know everything. We like to think when something should launch or we like to think we know how something should be going or how successful it should be. And we really just don't. <laughs> there's there's something else that takes care of that and um and I, and I do believe it is all perfect and I definitely forget that sometimes and have hard times but but when I whenever I can come back and send to myself that really resonates with me I love it absolutely love it there was especially this idea of surrender as a muscle I think that's really powerful to me and I'm definitely gonna keep that with me <laughs> so any sort of a life mantra or final thing that you would remind people of how to live wide awake I just believe in the magic like so much when I look back over the past few years I didn't have a plan I didn't know how to do something we really needed something we didn't have or we needed to do something we didn't know how to do it and just kept moving forward in the direction that felt right and the people that show up or the things that just turn up or things that unfold like you can't plan them you can't explain them let go of trying to be perfect and just do it and the rest really does get taken care of and I've got countless stories in my own experience of of unexplainable synchronicities that have happened that really only happened because I guess I found the strength to just keep moving in a direction without worrying about not having it all 
sorted, not having it all perfect and just moving in the direction that I think my gut wanted me to go um, and trusting that it does really all work out um, in the end. Well, Jaden, thank you so much for sharing all your lovely stories and wisdom with us. It really was a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Steph. Cool to hang out. Three things I'm taking away from this conversation with Jaden. Firstly, all natural waste is a resource. We just have a bit of a design problem and people like him are showing us how to fix it. Secondly, on a bigger picture view as a society, we had to go so far wrong to actually see what was right. And this now is allowing us to get excited to find the solutions for the problems that we have created. And thirdly, when going through those dark or really challenging times, we just have to remember it will pass. It's all for a reason and actually try to find the light to look at what's actually going to happen when this slump passes. I hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken. If you enjoyed today's episode, do hit that subscribe button and consider supporting us. Until next time, live wide awake.